This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Picard murders his clone. Odo will be pissed. Hello, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that is a big swirling vortex that amounts to nothing and is never explained. My name is Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we have the episode that I know you sort of remember, but mostly don't. It's like, oh yeah, that one. What happened in that one? Yeah. Remember... Uh. <laughs> Because at one point, there were two Picards, and you remember that. And at one point, yep. there was a big swirly blue thing that keeps popping mm-hmm. up as art later on. Uh, and you remember that. You remember mm-hmm. nothing else, I can basically guarantee, because I watched this the other week, and I don't remember anything else. <laughs> there is uh, some uh, a cloudy passage, and uh, everyone looking around at each other kind of concerned-like, and um, I guess a... An awkward, uh, fuzzy shot of uh, Riker standing there watching a shuttle depart. Yeah, and uh, I can't—I didn't look this up, even though a lot of the old previews for for the episodes are available online. But I can almost guarantee that the the preview thing they did for this episode included a shot of the Enterprise exploding. Yes, <laughs> kabloom. I I think is the first time we have the Enterprise explode. Yeah, I think so. Gets, yeah, gets damaged. Uh, it takes damage and stuff. I think this is the first, oh my god, the Enterprise is destroyed. Yeah, so, you know, because we've had uh, a, a different Galaxy-class ship that was being played by the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> uh, it got exploded previously, but, uh, you know, not the Enterprise itself. Yeah, but you could also use that in promotional material to trick people and go like, oh no, the ship's exploded. Yeah, so uh, that means the show is over, right? Yeah, not. I mean, at this era, yeah, because so <laughs> far we've only had Enterprise-themed shows. <laughs> well, it would be kind of interesting to have a, a Star Trek series where, like, the ship is legitimately destroyed, like, halfway through the series. And so they, you know, get together on a new ship and, uh, you know, maybe there's some uh, cast changes as a result. Or maybe they're, like, doing, like, lost in space, like Voyager. And, like, well, we've lost our main ship here. We still want to get home. So let's uh, make the Voyager too. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see that now. That would be so boring and plot heavy and weird <laughs> internal ship tensions because now you lost the ship and now you have to rebuild and then two characters are sort of in love and that's half a season arc and it's, <laughs> i'm so tired of modern tv <laughs> yeah well there, I, I think there's a a good uh middle ground in pacing between fully episodic and fully uh, continuity yeah sort of uh things going on there but uh in terms of this episode or what we're talking about today, it's it's very much more on the episodic sort of side of things. Yes, so um, this episode that we're covering now that we don't want to talk about is called Time Squared. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's also, like, you hear that and you go, oh, one of the time travel episodes, but no. Yeah, there's technically some time travel maybe in it, but... Yeah, but you get your hopes no. up a little and it's like, oh, no, yeah. no, it was it was this one. Well, I guess, you know, Times Squared could also be uh, a reference to, uh, uh, you know, uh, the equation for uh, your location under acceleration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Change of position equals uh, velocity times time, and your velocity initial is uh, zero, 
and it's just one half acceleration times uh, t- uh, time squared. So, <laughs> sure, math, yep, physics. <laughs> so the story was written, and I use the term generously, by Kurt Michael Bensmiller, who the literal only other thing I can find about him is that he wrote a DS9 episode called Storyteller. Hmm, Storyteller. Uh... Uh, what what's uh what sort of episode is that one about? I can't remember these things. Once you get to no. DS9, I stopped caring. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if I recall from uh, this particular uh, uh, episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, uh, it's the one where uh, O'Brien gets to be really awkward as he tells a story to people. Oh, right, the one with the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> O'Brien has to tell stories to make the cloud go away. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it turns out it was all a, a psychic energy that the townspeople were able to cobble together, I guess, yeah. in order to fight this thing that's never explained. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll uh, also have uh, something that's never explained in this one, too. <laughs> yep. They like clouds. Inexplicable clouds. Yep. <laughs> so, Kurt, you're the cloud person. But you're not the cloud minder. Sorry. Yeah. Well, inexplicable clouds, I guess, is an interesting story niche to to be yeah. be the one. <laughs> I don't know if if that's your thing. That's your thing, I suppose. <laughs> so great, <laughs> good job. Now uh, the uh, teleplay was actually by uh, Maurice Hurley, of course, and uh, you know, sort of adapting the story, and uh, you know, all that they're sort of uh, you know involved in a lot of writing and things like that in terms of uh, you know Star Trek you know materials here. So yeah. I mean, he's done a lot of adaptation. Who know? But at this point, who knows? They they tend to like change stuff a lot during the teleplays. As instance, Maurice Hurley wanted this to be a Q storyline, but Gene Roddenberry still had enough power to go, "No, we're not putting Q in this." Yeah, <laughs> Q's showing up again later this season. We can't do that right now. <laughs> and the only guest star that we have listed in this episode is. Colmini, so it's finally happened. Your wish has come Hooray! true. <laughs> and uh, for his part, he uh, mostly just kind of stands there and then watches things happen as he's sort of like, like, well, this is a thing that's happening. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> he has that that signature dumbfounded expression. <laughs> Indeed. Like, whoa, what is what is going on here? Look at that. I am a... I'm a little little baffled here. Um, should I, like, uh, call someone? Because it looks like the captain's dead. Um, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. Why did the captain be dead? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess we could also uh, claim that um, Patrick Stewart's a guest star. That's true. Guest starring Patrick <laughs> Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. The coma version. <laughs> He's uh, he's here. Guess, he's just way less interesting. Yeah, I, I guess it gives him a, a chance to uh, to act in the uh, sort of way that you know, it's like I'm you know, imagine that you're in a cardboard box. Yeah, Go. he lets him act. There's no dialogue to get in the way. There's no character. Yeah. Just raw emotion. And uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you know sometimes actors do kind of enjoy. Uh, having done and having the opportunity for, but I have no idea if he actually liked it or not. So Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like it from the performance. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, you never know. Maybe he he liked having these, you know, stretching his range. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess we're going to be stretching uh, our range today. Yeah, because the, no, this is another one. We've done this before. This I'll, I'll warn everyone. This is another episode where <laughs> not much happens and the plot sort of resolves itself. Yep. <laughs> the, a super bottle episode. Yeah, very bottle. That is the most bodily of episodes. <laughs> well, I guess it does like hint later for the next episode uh, about some like interpersonal stuff for Riker, but yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eh. All right, so we begin with Riker preparing eggs, real, actual eggs, because uh, we we get some hints throughout all every version of this series that the food synthesizers seem to like do a half-assed job of making food. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's passable, but you know, it's not great. <laughs> you can always tell the difference. You know, it just lacks that certain something. It's never as good as real food. The uh, perfect idealized version of it imagined by some random guy who scanned some food once. Yeah. <laughs> so they talk about doing stuff yourself versus, you know, letting a computer do it. Riker serves them all alien scrambled eggs that are bad. Yes. <laughs> Except, of course, to Klingons. So, you know, I guess, you know, different palates, different uh, taste buds and all mm. that. You know, there can be lots of foods out in the universe. Uh, they don't Star Trek seem yeah. to ever really be able to decide the Klingon stuff, because, like, Klingon food is enjoyed by humans. We see it all the time. But also Klingons eat stuff that humans find disgusting. So is the Klingon palate and taste that different? Do they just have a much wider palate than a human? Is it only, like, some humans can enjoy Klingon food? We don't. Maybe wait it's... On. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, you know, there's like a, a big Venn diagram of sort of stuff here. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's also, you know, you know, comments later that you know, Klingons do prefer their food to be on the rawer side. Hmm. Uh, and so having things that are cooked is like, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like replicator food, I guess, for them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are the quite like, you know, cats can't taste sweet because they're predators. So, like, we, we consider taste to be somewhat more universal than it is. Yes. So, you could have drastically different tastes, depending on aliens. And, uh, I, I guess uh, in terms of Klingons, uh, if their uh, core diet is much more, uh, you know, predatory in nature, uh, in terms of eating almost exclusively meats and things like that, uh, you know, having, you know, random alien eggs here, you know, even if cooked... Uh, could be, uh, you know, hitting that spot perfectly for Worf while everyone else is like, yeah, this tastes like uh, raw chicken. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which maybe Worf Worf loves some raw chicken. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it it doesn't matter that it's been cooked. It just still tastes right, so hooray. (laughs) So Riker is called to the bridge before we can get any more of these food hijinks because there's a Federation shuttlecraft even though there's no Federation ships in the vicinity. There haven't been for a bit. So where did this come from? Yeah, um, you know, maybe it. Uh, maybe someone was doing a Warp 10 experiment and got themselves uh, kicked out over here. Yeah, so there's one life sign on board. It's a lizard. Hmm. Yes, uh, <laughs> or an so I guess it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, salamander sex time. Yeah. <laughs> it's the salamanders all over again. It's always the salamanders. <laughs> 
So they intercept and track to the shuttle into the shuttle bay, where there's already the same shuttle. Hmm. Well, that's a little weird. Uh, is someone duplicating our uh, shuttles? You know, maybe like there's a a large uh, you know replicator out in space that scanned us and is just like popping these you know babies out now. Yeah, that could be an interesting one, right? Because it's you know they 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 scan the ship and they. We go like, oh, that's a cool thing. Let's make one of those. It's like making models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, and uh, eventually they're like, well, we've got a whole bunch of other models. Uh, this one, I don't. It's it's small and kind of box looking. I'll get. I'll just toss it out. Into space. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, this one's not one of the interesting ones. Yeah. <laughs> so the ship that they just brought on board, of course, is the shuttlecraft number five. Because I guess they didn't have shuttlecraft names. Shuttle number five. It does say on the side, like, you know, uh, L. Baz, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they don't ne- never say that in the script. Yeah, so. they just say <laughs> Shuttle 5. So it's Shuttle 5, and then next to it is Shuttle 5. Just facing the other direction. Okay, I have an idea. Let's, let's have them, like, uh, you know, touch. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Maybe they'll <laughs> s- smash into each other. Two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. It's time cop rules. Yeah. <laughs> They open up the shuttlecraft that they just bought on board and find duplicate Picard inside of the duplicate shuttlecraft. Well, that's a little weird. Um, hey, Data, you uh, have an experience with duplicates <laughs> of yourself. Uh, yeah. What do you think about this? Anything going on there, Data? It's like, so this Captain Picard has passed out. So what they do is they call Captain Picard, who is on the bridge. They go, hey, um, if you're on the bridge, who's this? Maybe you should come down here and take a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> you know examine yourself uh and you know uh, tell us what you think and uh you know share your feelings about that, that that's the rest of the episode <laughs> <laughs> so according to troy this is a different picard than the picard that they have on the ship here and his vitals mm-hmm. are a little weird but non-specific unhelpful ways i'm like well he's alive but all the patterns are weird i guess yeah. um so they move Picard 2 to sick bay, and LaForge tries to get the shuttle working again so they can look at the logs. He and Data connect it to ship power, and it almost explodes. Hmm. Well, that's not good. The power polarity is off. They, you know, didn't plug in their AC to DC adapter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you got to start fiddling with that and get a, a phase inverter sort of thing so you can sort of... Yeah, you know, they, they it hook it up with opposite polarity which, you know, should make it explode like it did, but instead it powers up. Oh, well, that's weird. Hmm. Uh, they make some adjustments, but when they do the right thing, the wrong thing happens, and when they do the wrong thing, the power goes good again. So uh, it's opposite day in this shuttle. Um, how- yeah, this shuttlecraft is from opposite day. Yeah. So wait, wait, does this mean that everything in it's been reversed in some way? Uh, they, it should be, but somehow doesn't seem like it, no. <laughs> yeah, unconscious Picard still has his uh, comm badge on his left side. So, also when they turn it on, it reads six hours in the future. Dun dun dun! Or the time travel. They have a very years. fast clock. That's also possible. Yeah, they never consider that. Like something, <laughs> something made this clock run quickly. And also, with the, it's been without power like completely for a little while. So, who knows how much time is actually yeah. passed? I mean, who knows? I don't know how these chronometers work. Like, they seem to be completely independent of anything else that's going on. 
they they always know when they're from the future somehow every time they encounter a clock on this show it's like this clock says it's from the future dun, dun, dun. the future hand is running fast <laughs> um i guess the for me the uh, best idea i can come up with uh is that there's like a, a radioactive sample with a, a you know very under, well understood uh, decay rate slash process, uh, and you know how much of that is left over can tell you exactly what time it is, uh, provided you you know rework it every once in a while to keep it up to date, and so you don't run out of material. Um, yeah, which is a really good idea when you keep encountering time travel shenanigans. Yes. <laughs> You know, uh, later in Enterprise, they'll uh, suddenly pull quantum dating out of their backside and uh, we'll have that. But, you know, that hasn't been invented in the past yet. <laughs> quantum whatever the heck wasn't as much of a thing in the late 80s. Yes. <laughs> like, they haven't decided that they uh, needed more of a uh, techno babble crutch to, to lean on here. So, hooray! <laughs> so, in sickbay, the other Picard is still passed out. Uh, but he doesn't seem to have anything wrong with him. So Picard orders them to wake him up. Pulaski tries, but the stimulant makes his vitals crash until she undoes it. Hmm. Uh-huh. That's a little weird. And um, Picard asks her to try again, having changed nothing. <laughs> but this time, it works. Yes. I guess she Which, decided like, to use the yeah. stimulant this time, but, you know, in reverse, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she decided to use the stimulant, but backward. <laughs> She's like, I, you know, I, I was kind of expecting they'd do something like, oh, we used the stimulant and it didn't work. Give him a depressant, you know, yeah. like we did with the shuttle. <laughs> but no, uh, apparently not. We don't want to go complete opposite day. It's just try it the, a second time. Well, they do kind of uh, come up with a little bit of explanation why things might be slowly starting to work for him in that he's becoming more in tune with the present or something as they get closer to the present for him. <laughs> so yeah, they basically get it to work out that way, but like this is 10 seconds apart. Yeah. <laughs> so now the second uh, time they try this, it wakes him up, uh, but he's in pain. He's terrified. He doesn't know what's happening. Pulaski sedates him again, but Picard stops her and asks the other Picard to be able to stay awake. Cause I guess it's what he would want in a, like weird weird kind of way mm -hmm. it's like right. if i was terrified and completely unaware of my surroundings i would want to be left awake yeah so i could be terrified and completely unaware of my surroundings or maybe in some vain hope of being able to take in all the stimulus and process it in time and get used to being awake and terrified yeah it's something that i really like to do is to be awake and terrified <laughs> At least, I guess uh, for myself, it's at least easier to manage than being asleep and terrified, but, you know. <laughs> Picard returns to check on his duplicate sometime later, and Velasky has worked out that it's, like, a problem with his internal clock. Because hmm. he's from the future, you see, and his internal time clock thinks it should be from the future, and is interacting with the present in some weird, unspecified way. Hmm. So you're saying his biological clock is ticking, but in the wrong way. Yeah, because something, something, time travel shenanigans. Well, I guess uh, we'll have to worry about this uh, sort of effect anytime we do time travel in the future. So uh, take good notes, all right? Yeah, we should definitely worry about this. It'll definitely come up. <laughs> so 
the more so then the closer they get to the time that the guy left which you know was six hours from now the more and more functional he'll become so great so they continue with nothing much of note happening until Pulaski reports the other Picard is getting more and more coherent. You know, because we just have to wait at that point, right? Because, yes. <laughs> you know. Like we're waiting for our doom, I guess. Um, you know, whatever happened here to get you uh, separated from the ship and uh, time travel back. And uh, so I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, so Pulaski reports the other Picard is getting good, which makes Picard head down to, like, basically yell at him. <laughs> Pulaski and Troy keeps going like, hey, uh, the dude's not well, right? He, he doesn't know what's happening. There's something fundamentally wrong with him existing in this time period that makes him unable to function. Yes. Uh, though I, I guess maybe Picard's just uh, repeating his technique from Loud as a Whisper, where if you can't communicate with somebody, you just yell at them. Yeah. So Picard finds his duplicate to be disappointing and ununderstandable. <laughs> Like, I, if I was in that situation, I don't think I would just babble incoherently and be terrified because my body's not functioning correctly. So, uh, I guess, Picard, you uh, want to avoid the situation at all costs. Um, ah. Or maybe you do want to be in this so you can show this guy out. There we go. <laughs> so he storms out, and Pulaski's worried about his mental health because he, he, he is acting weird. This is a weird way to write any character. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if I were to run into my exact duplicate from a time travel uh, weird shift loop thingamajig, I'd probably be intrigued, not really pissed off. Because, yeah. But maybe yeah. Picard's just having a bad day. <laughs> so uh, Picard goes to his ready room and gets a visit from Riker because Riker knows that it's really hard for Picard to not feel prepared for stuff. But with so little information on what's happening, the only realistic thing they can really do is wait. And Picard is not good at waiting. He he doesn't like to do it because, you know, the ship is at stake, etc. Um, this is an interesting one because, like, they spend most of their time waiting for stuff. Yes. That's <laughs> most of space travel. We happen to jump in for episodes at times of high stakes and important shit happening, but a lot of what they talk about doing is waiting to get from one place to another, waiting for something to happen, waiting for a reading to come in. They're very patient people. Except for this one episode. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then uh, they don't really need to wait anymore because a space hole has opened up beneath the ship. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess we got to worry about this now. Hopefully there's nothing to do with this time travel plot. <laughs> uh, they're being dragged into an energy vortex, an undefined, unexplained energy vortex that's just happened. Uh, they have to maintain low-level warp drive in order to hold still. Mm-hmm. Troy senses some instinctive intelligence coming from the thing, so it's there. Like, the thing's smart, I guess. It's an animal or something. Yeah, there's there's some some sort of psychically transmitting brain entity. Ah. Picard goes, we should stay and work out what the thing is, but then what if that's what I thought I would do? But then what if that's what I thought I would do, but then thought that I would think that I would do that? Hmm. So are we iterating the time loop slightly so it's different because we're being indecisive or is being indecisive the trap? Dun, dun, dun. They've been in this situation before and it had disastrous results. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. he determines that they should get out of there. So they've got a full warp, but that does nothing. And they're forced to shut down the engines before they push them too far. And then they are pulled deeper into the vortex. Indeed. Now, uh, it should be noted that we did get to see the logs before this point here. 
so that we do know that the previous iteration of all the stuff here is that the Enterprise is destroyed completely. Yes, I somehow missed that in my notes somewhere. But yeah, we saw a video of like, oh, if we leave the ship, it blows up. So, uh, yeah, maybe I should not leave the ship then. Got so they send a probe and it's destroyed instantly by the same whatever mabibble they saw destroy the Enterprise in the logs. They're able to hold position again, but it's draining the engines very quickly. And then an energy beam hits Picard and Picard too. Hmm. And Troy feels whatever it is has shifted its attention to Picard instead of the entire ship. Oh, that's a little quirky. Uh, maybe it detects that there's a uh, time-displaced copy of him, and so it's like, I'm intrigued by this. I want to study you more. So it's focused on Picard, um, and he could possibly leave and distract the thing long enough for the Enterprise to get away. And that's probably what the other Picard did, so maybe it's time to go check in on Picard Mark II. Mm. Uh, Picard heads to sick bay and has Pulaski let the other Picard get up and move around and not interfere. He heads off to the shuttle bay because he knows the Vortex wants him. He's still babbling somewhat incoherently, but he's speaking in full sentences now. Yes. And, you know, and so on the way, we get a kind of interesting uh, uh, scene where there's Picard Picard hanging out in the turbo lift, and one's kind of pacing back and forth while the other one kind of talks at him, you know. Uh, Picard, one, keeps asking what the other options were because whatever happened before must have been the wrong choice. Picard, two is only still sort of aware of what's going on. He's just repeating his previous actions. Yeah, so he's uh, locked onto a permanent path. So he's made his decision, and his certainty is now overwhelming. While you know our original Picard here uh, is being all like, "I'm really more uncertain at this point, given well all the death that happened." Um, yeah. So second Picard finally mentions the other plan wouldn't have worked. They can't go forward. The ship would be destroyed. And he goes, "Aha! We've done it. We can go forward, and the ship won't be destroyed." And then he shoots Picard too to prevent him from leaving in the shuttlecraft. Hmm. Well, that's awkward then. Uh, Did anyone see that? Because, you know, this seems like a clear-cut case of murder. Yeah. He uh, then sees that Pulaski and, for some reason, O'Brien have showed up uh, (laughs) to check on Picard 2. And he heads to the bridge. They set course for the center of the vortex and get as much speed as they can. They break out, which then the vortex disappears, as well as the other shuttle and the second Picard. And O'Brien gets to go, hey, the doubles have disappeared. Yep. So uh, I guess uh, he was there to look at things. Yes. And Picard stares out of a window, which lets us know there'll be no further explanation given for anything that just occurred. Yes. (laughs) It's like, well, uh, we've gotten out of that situation. Yes. Now for me to stare pensively out of this window to make it look (laughs) like I'm reflecting on something deep. Yeah, like this reflection. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a uh, a pretty poor episode overall, I'd say. It's, oh, yeah. Very. It does, <laughs> has some interesting questions it kind of wants to ask, but, you know, it's sort of all gummed up in, you know, kind of repeating the same things over and over again, so it doesn't really progress at all. Yeah. I mean, does it have interesting questions it wants to ask? This doesn't ask oh. anything. Well, uh, you know, it's not really being obvious about it, but, you know, it's, you know, it's like, what, what do you do when you meet a a duplicate? And the only one who really sort of voices his opinion on it is Picard. And he's like, I, heck if I know, I'll get angry. That's why. Yeah. Um, You know, we could have, could have had a lot of input from the other crew members. It's like, yeah, if there's a, you know, more than one Riker, I think that's, you know, sad because, you know, one of me in the universe is unique and special while having more than one of me well you know that's like 
kind of cheapens me, right? Uh, and then that'll like build up later for a later episode. But uh, <laughs> and or we could have like you know two uh, uh, Troys is like yeah it'd be great. I will like have a best friend. And then you know two Wharfs is like hmm, a sparring partner. Um, though I think we might try to kill each other at some point because you know yeah you know, we're and always thinking Troy's about- <laughs> uh, feedback loop on each other. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, Wesley shows up and he's like, yeah, it'd be great to finally have someone I can like get along with that doesn't think I'm kind of a nerd. Um, and then that's just kind of sad anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot of opportunity that is just kind of not even really considered and that's disappointing. Yeah. I did think that there's a lot of non opportunity and it seems like the it seems like it does. It wants to comment on predestiny, and it wants to comment on this pre, this predefined notion of yourself that Picard seems to be struggling with, because mm-hmm. Picard is very much on a like, oh well, this couldn't be me. He's not reacting to this situation the way that I thought he would, or I would in this sort of situation. So I'm angry. Yeah, even though there's like an actual explanation for why he would not be doing such. And it's not this guy Hmm. making different decisions than you. It's that he doesn't know what's going on. Now, the thing that's kind of odd with the, with what they're doing here is they are, they're setting up something that they, they not only don't pay off, it's um, not, saying the thing that they think they want to be saying or if they are they really haven't like you know thought through what it is they're communicating at all which i think they do quite often in this in this part of the series yes because you've you've set up this idea that they that they say early on of like picard doesn't like this version of himself because he feels like he wouldn't react this way in this situation which is sort of setting up a Picard doesn't like to see himself out of control, which makes sense if I saw myself like and outside of this experience, like after surgery or something where I was all loopy and really out of it and wasn't going to remember what was happening. I think I'd be slightly freaked out. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, this doesn't seem like the me that I know. Uh, This is some alien entity, effectively. What's going on here? This is unsettling. So it seems like one one would expect there to be some sort of character arc journey. Mm-hmm. Like, Picard realizes that he can, in fact, have more control of this situation than he feels like because he doesn't have to go into predestiny. Or he has to be okay with the fact that he will appear weak sometimes and it's just a natural part of being human. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, what he does is literally kill the part of himself he doesn't like. Yes, which is a little unhealthy. <laughs> and that is 100% definitely framed as the right decision by the episode. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, we've uh, solved all our time travel uh, nonsense stuff here by keeping him from leaving the ship. And then we did the thing. So, hooray. Like, yeah. Uh, what kind of messaging are you trying to do here? But uh, I don't think they really thought too deeply about that or kind of anything on this episode is more of it it very much comes off as an episode where it's like yeah we want to study you know uh this sort of uh you know character dynamic where someone's full of doubt because of circumstances they've been put into and then they didn't really know how to actually do that (laughs) 
And so you're yeah. just like, all right, so we're not going any deeper than your very service level of, I want to explore this, and then you don't really explore it. So that's disappointing. It's very disappointing because they don't explore anything. Now, the other thing that isn't happening, but would be thematically consistent with what they're doing, um, is a lot of the criticism of this episode is that it's one of these ones where the central cast don't actually do anything. There's a lot of episodes of TV and some movies and stuff where the plot happens with no actual interaction from the characters and it feels unrewarding for the audience because the characters that you like should be involved in the story in some capacity. Yeah. Um, In this particular instance, you could get away with that narratively because... That's sort of the nature of a predestination paradox. It's like, oh, we seem to be uh, trapped in this time loop situation here, and no matter what we try, you know, it apparently is going to lead to the wrong decision in the end. So do we have any, you know, ability to change our destiny? And if not, that's very concerning. And we need to, like, have some, you know, discussions about that maybe. And not just, you know, Captain Picard here, but... You know, there's more than just him on the ship, after all. Yeah, they they don't know what to do with it, but you could have people trying to fight destiny. You you could have one of the two things. You could have people trying to fight destiny, and that's, like, what gets them into trouble. You know, mm-hmm. you have to accept that there's some stuff that's just out of your control. Trying to change things is what made stuff go bad. Yeah. Uh, or you could do what they were trying to do here, which is... If you don't accept your destiny, you have more control over it than you think you do. Yes. Which which usually you don't do by just shooting yourself. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know what the messaging there is supposed to be. Now maybe maybe Picard should have like actually punched himself or something like that. Just lay him out, uh, and then like disable the that particular duplicate shuttle uh, or something like that so that you know no one else can try to take it out uh or you know close down the uh, the doors or seal everything up or activate the uh, the uh, you know the tractor beams to make sure that nobody flies off you know sort of do a, a secure thing and then sort of like crouch over his duplicate and like i'm saving both our bacons here so uh you know uh, just sit tight and uh, uh Riker uh, take us forward and uh, and then you know you know, the duplicate's like, but, you know, if I go forward, if we go forward, I'll, you know, one of us will cease to exist. And, you know, maybe the wrong Picard vanishes at that point. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so the one that's been, you know, irritable is gone. And the one that's been time travel and saw the ship destroyed remains. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting idea that. The the one that you thought was the one that you were following the entire time is actually the wrong time duplicate. Yep. <laughs> that could have been an interesting twist, but we don't got that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, closed timelight curves. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've talked a little bit about this before, but, uh, you know, in uh, general relativity, uh, there is quirks of the solution of the mathematics that suggests that under certain very spe- specific, uh, uh, circumstances, you can have a a pathway going into the future that eventually leads you to the past. And so effectively time travel, you know, uh, but you know, because you are physically going, you know, 
you know, you're not jumping from point A to point B in the timeline. You are very much living forward with your life to get back to where you started or even further back. Uh, you can, you know, you know, this is not a, a, a jump sort of situation in, in terms of time travel, but a, I'm following the, uh, the path of my life to get the, you know, get back to the past sort of situation. Yeah, time travel the old fashioned way. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're effectively living backwards, but from your perspective, you're living forward the entire time, but just, you know, when you get back to, uh, the rest of the universe, suddenly everything's kind of rewound a bit. So, yes. Um, so there's, you know, numerous solutions to, uh, the Einstein field equations and can kind of get you uh, there. Uh, my favorite is of course the Tipler cylinder, where you basically get a, a incredibly long or potentially infinitely long, uh, cylinder, uh, of some mass and start, uh, you know, rotating it on its axis. And then, you know, depending on, you know, various things like its mass and density and, you know, your path going around it, you can, uh, effectively use the twisting of space time by the cylinder to slingshot yourself into a a earlier portion of the space time for stuff further away from the cylinder, uh, and you're effectively doing this by tilting your personal light cone, which is basically everything that light being emitted from you uh, can reach, so far to the side uh, in sort of fourth dimensional thinking that it kind of just flips over and then you end up back in the past. <laughs> uh, there's also ones like the uh, you know the rotate universe with a uniform dust that if you go far away from the point of rotation, you get sort of a similar effect. So it's basically an inversion of the Tipler cylinder, but there's also some kind of uh, quirky ones like the um, solutions involving black holes. Uh, and uh, generally they require you sort of going inside the black hole, which, you know, has problems, but uh, does mean that, you know, if the Einstein field equations are absolute and there's not special exceptions for being inside a black hole, uh, then you could potentially have inside, you know, various black holes out in the universe situations where there are things that never actually fall fully into the black hole's singularity, but get trapped in these time-like uh, curves and thus effectively kind of only exist for part of the history of the greater universe. Uh, which is a little wild, <laughs> but uh, a lot of this sort of stuff uh, still runs up into uh, a, a certain problem when you uh, talk about uh, entropy, which is the slow uh, disorganization of the uh, you know the energy of the uh, the universe here. So it's sort of a uh, everything kind of goes to a certain level of uh, generally uniform uh, uh, you know energy throughout, which is uh, not too useful for things like you know, life and machines and things like that. But we generally don't have to worry about that because we have sources of energy like, you know, the sun. Uh, so we don't have to worry about that on a, you know, localized time scale. But in terms of the uh, situations where you have closed timeline curves for something kind of going, you know, in a cycle, you know, through a, a curve like this, you're going to run a situation that if you have a complicated system there, that it is eventually going to reach its state of maximum entropy. Uh, which, you know, if you are a time like, uh, you know, you're a, a time travel looped person here, such as duplicate Picard, that does sort of mean that eventually you're kind of going to be in a state where you're the most, uh, you know, you have the most entropy possible. And that state is going to be increasing over your various iterations here, uh, which means that each time you go through the loop, 
you are going to be a little bit more disorganized in terms of your uh, your systems. They're going to be breaking down, and so perhaps the uh, this b- duplicate Picard has been through this uh, whole time travel business here many, many, many times, and this you know state of being completely you know out of it is sort of getting close to that maximum uh, uh, disorganization level here, uh, and so. You know, being so out of it is a consequence of being stuck in a time loop uh, while being able to interact with a large universe. And so you could potentially have a thing where, you know, you, when you think about it, it's like maybe this, uh, you know, is just the end point for Duplicate Picard here in terms of, uh, you know, all his adventures here. Because he's gotten so out of it that, you know, uh, original timeline Picard's like, no, I'm not buying it. Yeah, that's why he got. Uh, that's why he was so weak that Picard could shoot him because all the other timelines he fought him off. Yes, <laughs> and was coherent enough to know to fight him off, and uh, was coherent enough to convince you know uh, other Picards, you know, just let me do this. I'll save the ship, uh, and you know, and so and so forth. <laughs> well, that would explain uh, why he's so incoherent, even when he's supposedly back in his own time thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there might be a a weird physics explanation for this, but I don't think the writers knew anything about that. Probably <laughs> so. not. There's always a weird physics explanation if you stretch it far enough because they didn't explain anything. So yep. you kind of make anything <laughs> fit. And uh, sometimes that's the fun of Star Trek is to, all right, we've got a weird situation here. What can we do with that? <laughs> How do we make this uh, uh, possible? And... Uh, you know, sometimes thinking about this stuff does get one sort of out of the, uh, you know, the, I guess the normal avenues of thought when it comes to science. And so it's a, it's, it's a good thing to have uh, thought experiments, you know, sort of like this here. So you can sort of explore new terrain in terms of the, the potential and possible out there. Mm. I also like that even though they definitely didn't know about this and they weren't writing to it. The thing that that makes the time travel happening is a very, very large spinning object. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, our our crazy vortex to another dimension, you know, is spinning around and it's sending you back and, uh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's like, oh, hitting warp 10, going around a star. Yeah, it also time travels. And, uh, yeah, it's like a Tipler cylinder, but warpy. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. Maybe now, now I'm thinking about maybe warp uh, travel uh, causes some weird, uh, you know, perspectives with the, uh, regards to uh, things outside your warp bubble, so that a uh, so that a sphere, you know, becomes uh, uh, synonymous with a, a giant, infinitely long cylinder. So does it make you two dimensional when you're in warp? I mean, wouldn't it depend how warp speed works? Yeah, because <laughs> they keep hand waving it by going, no, it removes you from relativistic effects completely. Yeah, which uh, is a little weird, um, you know, because even like in the, uh, you know, you know, real, uh, you know, quote, real world uh, FTLs uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, hypothetical attempts, you could say, uh, there's still going to be, you know, some wobbliness there uh, and you finding a solution that's going to be perfect so that you don't feel like you're changing, uh, you know, uh, you know, relative time frames at all is tricky. So, yeah. I wonder what that does to their clocks. <laughs> their radioactive decay. <laughs> that's probably why they need weird special clocks that seem to <laughs> operate outside of space-time. Yes. 
our, uh, our clocks are all contained within their individual warp bubbles here in order to uh, preserve their uh, localized time <laughs> and uh, also sync that up perfectly with the universal time. And uh, so we always know how many t- uh, minutes in the future you're you're wandering here. So it's fine. <laughs> makes me uh, makes me think of the Discworld Thief of Time storyline where they the the bad guys want to make the world's only truly accurate clock and it shuts down the universe because something inside of the universe can't measure how the universe is moving accurately <laughs> so part of it has to exist outside of the universe but then it can't move forward with the universe <laughs> whoops well, i guess that's sort of like uh, uh the black hole solutions then so we have to send our clocks into a black hole. So that's effectively outside the universe, but it's also trapped in its own uh, time-like, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, curve, uh, space curve there. So it only exists for a limited amount of time from our outside perspective, and thus we have to figure out the time travel in order to talk to it. But it's also time traveling. Uh-oh. Uh oh, Gepwin, save me from the BTA, uh, uh, BTZ black hole solution. Quick. <laughs> I mean, that always made me wonder about the whole black hole thing, because if relativistic effects near a black hole make time slow down, doesn't that mean that very little stuff would have had time to get into a black hole? Sort of. Um, you know, it is, but I, I guess the, the, the trick is that something falling into a black hole uh, from our outside perspective is effectively falling into it forever. Uh <laughs> And so it does reach the point of the event horizon at some, you know, specific time. But, you know, in terms of our perception of it, uh, the, you know, the light and things like that is getting so red shifted that it's, you know, it just seems like it's slowing down in terms of its internal, you know, progress forward on an, in, you know, an internal clock sort of uh, fashion here. Uh, while from its perspective, it's like, yeah, we're definitely inside the black hole and our clock says it's, five o'clock and that's when we hit the red horizon so eh. yeah relativistic stuff is weird yes <laughs> uh actually uh i don't have the title for it off um, uh, on my fingertips here but uh, there's actually a, a pretty good book i have in my uh, library uh that is sort of a right, here's some of the math but we want you to, to more understand what's going on uh in terms of the black holes here uh you know so that we can you know so we have lots of sort of side discussions about all right, so what does this actually mean? And, you know, what are we actually keeping track of with, you know, this sort of expression here? Because, uh, you know, <laughs> knowing who you're talking about in terms of, you know, who's doing the measuring is very important when you're dealing with relativity stuff. And uh, it gets, you know, a little hard to uh, keep track sometimes uh, when you're just sort of tossing out math here. All right, well, we probably don't have to deal with that because we're not going to have enough time to explain relativity. I could try. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that could be a side episode where you explain so, physics concepts to people. So you have a train and <laughs> it has a clock on it. Well, that probably just means that it's time for us to uh, run along and get to the galaxy's favorite game show. everybody, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. Our various contestants are, well, there's only a few of them today, but they've been getting lots of scores up and uh, getting their uh, getting their points to hitting the prize thresholds. Anyway, let's get started. Our first prize is the Evil Twin Prize, which goes to Duplicate Picard for making OG Picard feeling, feel bad and, you know, causing him to second-guess himself. So, pretty low-grade evil, actually, but still, 
he was about to get them all killed or something like that. But uh, yeah, what does he win, Gepwin? He wins mustache storage. They they mm. have enough duplicates show up in this show that they just need a mustache storage locker, and they just slap it on the new guy. It's like you are now the mustache twin, and we can tell you apart, and one of you is probably evil. Now, uh, just as long as it's not the uh, you know of the quality of the uh, beard from the um, oh, uh, the alternative factor from way back when, you remember that guy? Oh yeah, that dude. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the, the mustache is a little bit more together than that, I think we'll be good there. Our uh, our second prize is the tragedy of Irish prize, which goes to the previous iteration or iterations of the Enterprise crew who, in their panic, got themselves all killed. Uh, what do they win, Gapwin? They win a funeral. They never do this but like like every time they have one of these everyone died in an alternate timeline they could like have some sort of memorial or something right just because you fixed it doesn't mean that they didn't die in their own timeline like something it, it's something off happened here indeed you know and uh you know a funeral and uh, maybe some sort of uh time travel pension for your duplicates getting murdered hmm that might be interesting. Anyway, our uh, last prize is the Space Pothole Prize, which goes to the Vortex Entity for summoning up an anomaly yet just kind of out of nowhere for no clear reason. Yeah, just because. Uh, what does it win, Gapwin? It wins a place in all the new series, because this thing, they could pull it out of nowhere. It was never explained enough to break continuity. And anytime someone has a continuity issue, it's like, oh no, the Vortex happened and time did something. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we run into this sometimes, and, uh, you know, usually uh, this is the solution to get out of it, but uh, maybe we should, like, actually try to investigate what's actually going up sometime, and we can make a whole, like, half season out of that. Hmm. Anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's all I got here, Gepwin, so uh, feel free to take us away and uh, make sure to, uh, you know, head into the Vortex, not try to fight it, I guess. Yeah, don't fight yeah. Destiny, except when you do fight Destiny. Because they have some confusing mixed messages about destiny. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, we don't have to worry about it because this was the galaxy's favorite game show. So anyway, now that we've uh, explained all this train business and uh, we can finally move on to general relativity here. And uh, uh, are, you, are you paying attention, Gepwin? <laughs> I mean, as long as we don't get to quantum field theory. Yeah, well, that's a bit further on, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, if you you know start going quantum field theory with uh, general relativity, you know, some things work out, but other things is like ah, we don't really know. Making guesses. Uh, we shouldn't try to explain relativity on this show. We'll be flying too close to the sun. <laughs> that's the ha ha. Uh -huh. The next thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, next next episode is called the Icarus Factor. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's obviously going to be some wings we made out of wax and uh, yeah, yeah, yep, wax wings and daddy issues. Yes. <laughs> so how how far close to the sun uh, are we going to get here? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I, I guess somewhat. They're in orbit around something. And uh, Riker's going to get a new command, so he's going to get a promotion, become a captain. Good on him. Yeah. This is this is like one of the first times that they do that. I don't know why they keep insisting on doing this. It's odd because 
they they keep talking up how great Riker is, youngest commander in Starfleet history, yada yada yada, fast track to become the youngest captain in Starfleet history, and then for some reason they keep on saying we're going to promote you, and then they have to come up with a reason that he doesn't do it, so that he can continue being the principal cast member. Yes. Um, why, though? <laughs> you you have chosen to do this. He could have remained the first officer on the ship with no comment for the entire run. And you keep bringing this up as a plot point to, to make it look like he's uh, suddenly unambitious or something. It's a bit weird. Uh, there's uh, I've heard folks uh, discuss a bit, uh, you know, the uh, later episode where uh, uh, Riker runs into his uh, uh, transporter duplicate. So more duplicates, so no. Uh, uh, and they could have very easily taken that opportunity to actually let Riker get promoted uh, and, you know, keep, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan Franks on as a cast member, but in a different role. Uh, and, you know, if you basically pull that a lot earlier, you can have Riker become a captain in this season. Uh, and then, you know, a few episodes later, they run into duplicates like, wait, you're not Captain Riker? What, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, I, Captain? I, no, I'm like lieutenant, second lieutenant here. What, what's going on? <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, no. <laughs> and then you could have you know them run into each other later, and uh, then they can have their whole uh, you know personality uh, clashing business there, and uh, you can sort of stretch it out over uh, several uh, episodes or even several seasons. And uh, uh, Wouldn't have necessarily been the character we liked, though. Yeah, true. Um, no, I, I guess, you know, it could also be a thing where, you know, all right, there's this alternative Riker that we know has a lot of potential. So, you know, how does that Riker then turn into the Riker that we've known previously? Um, you know, they're not going to follow the same path, obviously, but now that he has the opportunity to sort of start, you know, uh, working his way up the ranks, we can sort of see how he reacts and different uh, sort of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, levels and positions here in terms of, uh, you know, his behaviors and, you know how he deals with being the underling as opposed to the one in charge. But anyway, that's but, speculation. <laughs> but as for what actually happens, this is the one with Riker's dad. Yes. Also some pain sticks. Yeah. Riker's dad and pain sticks, but not in the same scene. Yes. Uh, unless you count those one things as pain sticks, but that's not, they're not like, you know, electronic pain. That sticks. That would have been better. <laughs> that would have been better if, if Worf just walks up at the end. It's like, I have a way that Klingon fathers and sons reconcile differences. Ah! Cane stick. Yeah, I I guess that uh, solves the solution there. Uh, Cool. (laughs) Yeah, every time someone has an interpersonal crisis on the Enterprise from now on, Worf pops up behind them and goes, Pain sticks! (laughs) That would be glorious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this this is Riker's dad, and I always find it weird because I... I remember... Uh, Mitchell Ryan the most from when he was on Dharma and Greg, <laughs> which means anytime I see him in another role, it's like, that's, that's weird. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's Greg's dad. But Mitchell Ryan will be joining us for some Star Trek across the universe. Yep. So yeah, this is a dumb episode about how Riker doesn't like his father and how his father is a dirtbag who doesn't deserve a second chance but they decide that he's a good dad anyway or something i guess we'll complain about it more next time yes the don't get me started on daddy issue episodes oh my god (laughs) next time on watchers of tomorrow riker's daddy has issues 
have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>